when our first little girl was four months old, I decided I wanted something new and I wanted to know how we could live better lives, but also I wanted to be a better example for them. And I I sort of made a pact with myself. I didn't want them to grow up to feel the pain and the illness that I experienced. So I wanted to do everything possible to help them to understand their bodies and grow up um, healthy and respecting their bodies and looking after themselves. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I've invited the gorgeous Tanya Jones onto the podcast. Gut health has always been a key focus for the natural medicine practitioner. And the overwhelming scientific evidence supports the importance of good gut health to manage many health concerns. As Tanya states, Greek physician Hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut. Now, she knows that this also suggests that all healing can begin there. And she has witnessed firsthand the truth of this in clinic, not only for herself, but with the results of her patients. She brings a different level of care and expertise from learning to thrive with her own digestive autoimmune conditions since the age of 18. She also understands the overwhelm and sense of hopelessness that can be felt when facing a chronic illness. And she is also fully equipped to guide you through this with simple, manageable steps for lifelong change. Tanya is able to work with a variety of health concerns, including joint pain, skin conditions, low immune functions, headaches, migraines, period and reproductive problems, thyroid and hormonal imbalances. Though in particular, Tanya has a passion and knack for working with digestive health and understanding how gut health impacts all immune conditions. Now, if you're interested, you are going to love this podcast. She shares openly all the concerns, her seven surgeries as a young woman, all the ways that the doctors, specialists, gastroenterologists just could not help her. And I guess in many ways, it's through her own experience that has thrown her down the pathway of investigating it for herself, which also sent her down the beautiful pathway of learning and becoming qualified with her degree in naturopathy. She has a wealth of knowledge. You're going to really appreciate her beautiful, gentle, kind nature and the way that she explains things. And I cannot wait for you to hear this week's podcast with the beautiful Tanya Jones. Please leave your comments and feedback on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28. You can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. I sincerely appreciate your five-star rating. It helps us to help others find what it means to truly love oneself and to get through anything face our fears and do it with pride, courage, grace, strength, and dignity. Have a wonderful week. Take care, be kind, and enjoy today's show. And as you can hear, it is an absolute pleasure and delight for me to welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous Tanya Jones, someone who I really respect and admire, who I've got to know well over the last few years, but in particular, really admiring her love and growth and fascination for the human body and all things wellness. Welcome, gorgeous girl. How are you? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here talking to you. 
Oh, look, it's such a treat. It's a passionate topic for both of us. We are really big advocates for taking care of our bodies, understanding them more, knowing when they need support and when they don't. But maybe before we start talking about your idea of functional medicine, perhaps you could take us back a little bit, Tanya, and talk to us a little bit about your life growing up, what attracted you to naturopathy and the other things that you've done and why you think gut health is so important. Well, that's quite a deep story, so I'll try not to make it too confusing. But I guess I grew up as a typical country Victorian kid, um, thinking that we were a pretty healthy family, um, eating the standard Australian diet. Um, I'd never been in hospital, never really been sick until I got to the age of 18, and I started to have a lot of digestive issues. So um, mostly it was um, stomach pains, but also um, bleeding when I would go to the bathroom and things like that. So off to the doctors and I had Crohn's disease. So that was thrown on me quite suddenly. And I had a specialist in our country town that just threw me a box of medication and said, take five of these twice a day, you'll be right. So I was sent off out the door with that. And um, I was lucky that I had a cousin that has Crohn's disease. So my family had a little bit more of an understanding of, no, that's not okay. We need to get a little bit more support here. So we went and sought out some new doctors. Um, It came on quite suddenly, I would have thought. But if I look back at my teenage years, there was definitely signs and things that were, there was whispers that we weren't listening to with my body. Um, and I grew up on uh, neutral grain or cocoa pops for breakfast and I didn't like sandwiches for lunch, so I'd have honey sandwiches or hundreds and thousands sandwiches. Um, I ate healthy dinners and my mum cooked everything from scratch, so it wasn't, but we just had no concept of the amount of sugar I was eating and I was on this sugar roller coaster. I remember I was as a teenager, I was a dancer, so I burnt off most of it. So that's why it probably got hidden a lot. But then in the health issues, I would have like random bounce of stomach pains that would come out of nowhere, but they would just go away. And then I would also, I really could see I had blood sugar issues back then because I, I'd be hangry or if I didn't eat every hour and I'd be standing there and I'd say oh I feel pale <laughs> that was the thing I used to say to my mum I feel pale so oh, there was so probably so many signs and symptoms early on that we just thought were normal life and I was t- constantly getting tested for anemia because I was tired and fatigued but um obviously I had a lot of digestive issues and wasn't absorbing anything I was eating and I wasn't probably eating much of the good things anyway. So I went through, when it came on suddenly, it hit me really hard. I was at the time a dance teacher, so that was my dream job. I did performing arts college the year before and come out and had the perfect job in our little country town teaching the beautiful kids how to dance um, in all these styles and I loved it and I loved them. And then I got hit with all my illness and I tried for about three or four months to work with the pain and while I was rapidly losing weight and fading away so it was a really challenging time and then it got to a point where 
I physically couldn't work. So I had to quit my job and I spent probably the less the next five to six months just living, moving from a mattress in on the floor in my parents' lounge room to my bed, like just going from mattress to mattress. I couldn't actually sit any like upright anymore. Um, and I was seeing my specialist and telling him about the pain that I was experiencing and being ignored. So um, eventually I went back to our original GP. So it wasn't any of my specialists that discovered it. And we described what pain was going on, which my specialist had told me was just muscle spasms and it would be all right. And um, she sent me off for a CT scan and they found a abscess the side of a golf ball off my bowel. So um, we immediately sought out some new doctors and things in St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne and they were amazing but it took about seven different surgeries to kind of get me to a point where I could function again sit up start to absorb some nutrients I think by the end of it like I was never a thin kid probably because of my diet but like I was I was strong and muscly and um I think I was about 44 kilos by the time I came out of hospital um, so I'd faded away and um, I remember I really had to rebuild my strength with just sitting upright. Like if I sat up for a while, I'd feel sharp pains in my um, chest and my neck and everything because I hadn't had to sit up and hold my head up for so long. So it was a lot of rebuilding. But I remember in that time when it was really dark, just thinking I'd never take anything about life for granted, um, for granted again. I just wanted to be able to get up and go and take on the world and do things and I'd never worry about my weight or I'd never worry about silly, insignificant things. I'd just take advantage of every opportunity that came to me. So, yeah. So then I got well enough to just move on with life, but I wouldn't say that I was well. I'd had enough surgeries to uh, reduce how ill I was, but it was always there underneath. And I went, you know, I was a young 20-year-old, so I went off to, I lived in Darwin for a while with my um, ex and tried to live a normal life, but there was a few surgeries along, like every two or three years I'd have to have a little surgery or something because it would be flaring up and, um, I probably wasn't really well at all, but I was trying to live the partying life of a 20-year-old um, and back to eating all the wrong things and things again. And it wasn't until really right before I was living in Sydney and I was about to get married and we knew we wanted to start a family. So I wanted to come off my medication, which probably wasn't doing much anyway. Um, so we went to saw new doctors and specialists and had a thorough investigation and um, decided the best option was probably because I'd had a lot of active Crohn's in my colon for that 10 years, um, the best option was probably to chop most of that out and um, be able to come off my medication so that we could start a family. He at that point wanted to try and repair it and do different medications and things like that. But at, with the, what I knew or lack of what I knew then about the body and the microbiome and the gut and everything, 
I was ready for the quick option just to take it out and just move on with life. So that was the path we took at that time. Um, So that was over 10 years ago and I've been medication-free since then. But I think that would definitely be from the work I've done since then. So I think when our first little girl was four months old, I decided I wanted something new and I wanted to know how we could live better lives but also I wanted to be a better example for them and I I sort of made a pact with myself I didn't want them to grow up to feel the pain and the illness that I experienced so I wanted to do everything possible to help them to understand their bodies and grow up um, healthy and respecting their bodies and looking after themselves so I then took on studying as a naturopath so I did that part-time while I had a bub And then I went back to work full-time, part-time. I went back to work and continued studying, had another child, continued studying. (laughs) So it took me about five or six years part-time study to get through the degree, um, to get to the other end. It felt like forever. But... um, and it felt like a really big hill to climb as well. Like when you're when you're studying something like that, it's very hard to imagine yourself in that position doing that role because it feels very overwhelming. So it's very easy to give up when you're in that deep and go, oh no, that's too hard. Um, and I probably considered it a few times, but I pushed on and and so happy with where I am now and with the knowledge I am. And yeah, that's really driven me, I guess to work in the scope of gut health now as a naturopath. Um, but it's it's for those people that go through or in a similar space that I was in when I was 20 years old and, you know, I wasn't probably, you know, they say be the squeaky wheel and get the attention. I probably wasn't that person because that's not in my nature. So, you know, seven surgeries to get something done because I was go into hospital, have a surgery. I knew that surgery didn't work, but they would send me home because they needed a bed for somebody else. So I'd just go home and wait a couple of weeks, go back to the doctors. No, that didn't work. We've got to do it again. Rather than me just jumping up and down, probably saying, I'm staying in this bed in the hospital until you fix me Um, and getting answers properly. But, and they're the people um, I see in clinic and my heart breaks for them because I understand um, the lack of empathy that they can get in the medical world. And I understand what it's like not to be listened to by your specialist when you're telling them you're in pain and this is happening. So I want to be there for those people and um, show them that there's another way. And I think in the time that I've had my Crohn's, I've seen five gastroenterologists in different like cities and states or wherever I've been. And every single one of them told me that what I ate made no difference to my disease. And it wasn't until the very last one um, who did my major surgery, we'd started to um, cotton on to being a bit healthier in our home. And my husband, Blake, had seen a naturopath and lost a lot of weight. So I was eating the same as him and we both had lost a lot of weight, which was for our wedding, but we it turned into a lifestyle change. We've stuck with it mostly. And um, it was in the 
last appointment with that doctor after my surgery follow-up and I said to him so what do you think about diet and Crohn's and he he was a his lovely little like gastroenterologist like sweetest man really caring knew everything about every medication and he was like oh it's so interesting oh I've oh I studied this for about two years oh and I thought oh yes we've hit the jackpot and then he turns around and says it makes no difference <laughs> after he studied it for two years and I'm like I came out of the appointment and I rang my husband and I said I think we need to break up from him like his values are not in line with what we know anymore and that's when we started following the natural path and um, I saw the naturopath that Blake had been seeing for his health issues and got myself on track and then through my own learnings I've treated myself so it's incredible as I listen to your story and I hear so often and this is not a knock to the medical world because without the medical world, you know, we appreciate so much emergency medicine and the incredible gift that they are to our world. But in your humble opinion, first of all, can you explain to us what actually is Crohn's and the symptoms, just in case someone listening to this could go, maybe that's what I've got. Mm. And secondly, why do they keep saying that nutrition or what we eat has nothing to do with it? So um, Crohn's is an autoimmune condition where the immune system is, your own immune system is attacking your own digestive system. So that can be anywhere from the mouth right through to the anus. Um, so you can chop out a part and it can come up anywhere else. Um, so lots of different Crohn's people have different symptoms depending on where it's attacking. Um so it's like if you looked through a scope um, of the person's bowel, the best way to describe it is it looks like a kid's grazed knee. It just keeps having that um, grazed bleeding effect and then it grows scar tissues and then you get blockages and lesions and different things in the digestive system. Um, so, and the reason why they don't think diet matters, maybe it's changed because it I'd love to think it's changed in some degree. I haven't seen a gastroenterologist myself for 10 years because I haven't needed to. Um, but from the feedback I get from clients, it's a very slow change. Some come in with some diet suggestions like a low FODMAP diet or a low fibre diet, which is some progress, but that also creates other issues when you're depleting a microbiome from any food source for a long term. So they're given those diets, um, diets as the fix, but that's not the fix. That's a temporary Band-Aid to take the pain away. That will, The longer you stay on that, the, the more you're going to damage the microbiome. So um, I have, I'd like to think that there's some good ones out there. I believe there's good and bad practitioners in every um, profession and um I have seen an amazing gastro gastroenterologist who was presenting at a natural medicine um, gut seminar and he was talking about fecal transplants plants mostly, but, you know, he had an understanding of the microbiome and um, as more and more research comes through over the last five and ten years about the microbiome, I'd like to think it's drifting into the realm of medical science and the medical world and what they're taught as well. Um, 
because if you are looking at the microbiome, you cannot dispute the diet does not impact that. So I think in the beginning it's obviously um, because their focus on their studies is so much on the drugs and the medication and that's the time that's the time and the scope of what they're taught, whereas the nutrition part's just not in there. Do you think from what I've learned over the years, the different specialists that I've interviewed, that, uh, uh, forgive me, it just doesn't make sense to me that we can learn all about the body, one of the most amazing vehicles and tools that specialists, doctors, surgeons, they're all taught anatomy, physiology, functionality, all of the different things that must be an incredible amount of learning. Mm. And yet we know that you should not put diesel into a petrol car or it won't run very well, or we know that we should service a car at least once a year. We know we need to change tyres. We know that the better fuel we put in, the better output. Does it not make sense from all of our points of view just how imperative nutrition is or is it that we are so clouded nowadays by large food conglomerates, by large pharmaceutical companies, by large corporations that do not really seem to have our health at the forefront of their purpose, their mission, their vision, and all their values? What, what's going on? Yeah. Um, it's very, like, if you dive down into that, it does get very political and very... You know, we are all clouded by these distractions with so many companies that don't have our interests at heart. They have only there to sell us more food and produce. So, yeah, um, it's very easy, I guess, when you're, a, when you're a doctor. I can only imagine when you get, you know, seven to ten minutes, I think it is, with each patient and they're supposed to try and give them medications and then lifestyle and diet advice they've got it but the medication part is the thing that they've been taught and the thing that's been drilled into their minds that's what they're going to put their efforts into and the diet part it's just not there for them even though it just makes perfect sense to you and I and many of the people that come to me but even though even a lot of my clients when they come to me unless they've grown up in a home where they've had sort of some influence about diet or um, have some friends and have seen them have a dramatic change. It's amazing how we think that all these foods that sit on the shelves for 12 months or so in a supermarket are foods. And somehow we've lost the whole concept of what a real food is. And we think as food as calories that just go into our body to fill a space in our stomach. We don't think of the power of food and how they're messengers to every cell in our body to tell every cell in our body how to work and how to function that's that's kind of the kind of information and education I want to share with my clients and that's um, the power of what we have with understanding and having our own knowledge about how the body works and how we can heal our body with food and not going to the quick easy pill which is what's so easily given. Um, and it may help with the symptom right there and then, but it 
as you said, it's not long term. You 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 said you had seven surgeries. Yeah. I mean, your body has been to hell and back. You have had to regain your strength from each one of those surgeries, let alone the effects of the anaesthetic and and the recovery, the build up, the nerves, that maybe the anxiety, all of the things that have come with that. How have you found your body? I mean, it is a remarkable machine, isn't it? How the yeah. body can keep recovering. So how do you think now as a naturopath looking at people with digestive issues or symptoms that maybe they just know they don't feel right, there is so much content information and knowledge out there now, and I'm sure it's only just the beginning on gut health. Do you think, and are you of the ilk that the gut is bigger and more important than the brain or that the gut drives the brain or is it the brain that drives the gut? Which one is it to you? Oh, that's a really tricky question. Um, I've probably always swayed to the gut driving the brain almost, but actually not. If I look at some new clients, I can tell their brain's driving their gut. So um I think it's definitely an equal communication there uh, and probably a communication that's really underestimated by a lot of people. Okay. So if it's underestimated, we still don't know a lot about the relationship really between the gut and the brain, yet we know there's a connection. One thing you mentioned is a word, the microbiome, which we know is this incredible um, layer within our gut system. And each part of our gut from the mouth through to the anus plays a very important part. Could you explain to us then with your naturopathy and with all the things that you've studied from a functional viewpoint, is it important for us to acknowledge the power of proteins, carbohydrates, fats, fiber, and all of these sorts of things? You mentioned the standard Australian diet. Could you perhaps give us an explanation of what that is and how, given all those nutrients, the importance of them, how can we do the Australian, the New Zealand, the English, the American diet better? How do we do this? Mm. So the standard Australian diet is largely constructed from industry, from my understanding. Um, my philosophy around food, and it's, it's changed in the last six months since I've taken on a new learning program as well, but, um, you know, the simple philosophy, if it's grown in a farm or comes off a tree or, you know, is an animal, they're, they're real food sources. So things that we've grown up evolutionary for our body to recognise as a real food source is the perfect way to start. If it comes in a packet, you're probably an idea to avoid it or look at the ingredients. And can you name every ingredient on that packet? Because if you look at something and go, I'm not sure what that is, then put it back. Um, that's my food philosophy to start with. And sometimes that's overwhelming for a lot of the people that I encounter in clinic. Like, they have so much packet foods and they rely on packet foods just to turn around and say, don't eat it if you get a packet, can be mayhem to them. <laughs> and they don't have the space or capacity in their mind to just switch it all around straight away. So um, the way I work with diet and carbs and proteins and all those things that are important for everybody is one step at a time. We do make very gradual little changes because anyone that walks in my door, I don't want them thinking that this is 
something they have to just do for a few weeks, eat healthy, and then they're going to be health, they're going to be fine and can go back to how they were. I want them to learn the whys, the ins and outs of it all, so that this is something they don't want to continue abusing their body. And when they eat something, they understand why it makes them feel pretty lousy after they eat that. So um, in regards to like the importance of carbs and proteins and fats and things, um, over the last four or five months, I've been studying a new personal health um, program, which is based off um, genetics. And it's all created with an amazing algorithm which gives us a personal health plan to our personal health type. And it's been able to allow me a whole new level of um, dietary advice for my clients because in the past we would have like a a gut healthy diet. They eat this many non-starchy vegetables. That's good for your microbiome. But people would get a certain amount of healing from that. But if someone is genetically built to eat more animal protein, and someone else is more genetically built to more a vegetarian diet, that diet's not going to work for both of those people. So understanding the person's genetic health type, how their biochemistry works through this um, precision health plan has allowed me to tweak that person's diet. And it might be, it might even be the falling down for them is the time of the, the day that they're eating their meals. So some people thrive best off six meals. Some people are better for two meals. But we're probably really naive to think that there's going to be one perfect way for anybody to eat because our bodies, if we just look around, our bodies are so different in so many ways. There's not even one medication we could give it to one person and it responds totally different to the next person. So diet has to be the same too. So um, I think the key thing I think is important at the moment is the individualization and understanding how that diet is affecting us in a biochemical way and our genetics and having it really personalized for that person. Genetics is a topic that a lot of people um, may or may not understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're all born with a certain genetic makeup. We can take on generations of genetic material and yet we can have what's known as a certain gene that switches on according to how we behave but we also have the power to switch these genes off and someone explained it to me once that it's like having a loaded gun it's whether or not we pull the trigger so from your understanding around this someone like you you mentioned your cousin also had Crohn's I want to ask you is that genetic And therefore, how have you switched off that genetic gene? Or how can we, if we're told, oh, that's what your mother had, that's what your father had, your grandmother died of that, your grandfather died of that. How do we, instead of falling victim to thinking, oh, it's just my genes, do we have more power and control over this, in your opinion, do you think? I think we have a lot of power and control over this. This is um, definitely one of my um, passions is this topic because we are given these diagnoses like Crohn's and people think even other people that have hypertension or all these other um, high cholesterol and things, and they come into my office and they say, oh, it runs in my family. Well, yes, to a certain degree, yes, we have those genetic tendencies, I agree with you, but 
totally that saying about it being the gun, but our environment and our lifestyle is what pulls the trigger. And you can turn that off for sure with having the right diet and lifestyle for your genetics and for your biochemistry and um, understanding how to eat and live properly to that. And I think um, not just food, because we've been talking a lot about the diet, but also it's the lifestyle, it's the stress we put our bodies under and all those things that switch those genes on and off. And it's quite easy to see it when you have people coming into your clinic all the time and you can see you go through someone's timeline and they've been healthy and then all of a sudden it's been a traumatic event and all of a sudden they've got a few years later an autoimmune condition or two autoimmune conditions, but their diet didn't change, but they've had some stress or trauma that's just thrown that genetic switch into play. Um, But, yeah, with doing the reverse of what got them there, you can make a big effect and a really nice, amazing, positive effect to switch those genes off. Is a naturopath in, in reality, and again, correct me, looking at that then, a naturopath will advise herbs and supplements, a doctor prescribes medications. Are you just doing the same thing or are you suggesting that you go a lot deeper and it's not always just about the supplement or the herb that you offer? What else does a naturopath look for? Yeah, that's really interesting question. And it can be a it can be a trap for some naturopaths to fall down that path of being prescribers of just a natural version of what a medication would be. So you can go to naturopaths out there. There's not, not all of them, of course, there's, like I said before, there's good and bad in every profession. Um, but if you go to a naturopath appointment and you walk out with five supplements in the first consult, I think that sort of should raise some alarm bells. Um, and that's um, definitely something I take a different approach to. I don't ever prescribe more than one or two supplements at a time and they're layered in very specific to the protocol I use. There's a number of steps to do things in the right order and we build on them. But the diet and the lifestyle part, and if you've got a good naturopath, they'll look at you from a holistic point of view. So that's the best way I describe it to my clients. If you've got something wrong with headaches, you'll go to a specialist that just focuses on, you know, scan doing CT scans or anything on your head and they'll give you medications for your head. But you can go to a naturopath that would then just give you all the right supplements for headaches. But if you have the right person looking after you, they will be looking at everything else and connecting all the puzzle pieces to find out the root cause of what's going on. And I believe strongly you don't have to treat symptoms with supplements, but if you look at the body system that needs the most support and start healing from the ground up, it's amazing how the symptoms throughout the body can change and alter from that baseline healing rather than just band-aiding symptoms. So powerful to understand that because I'm sure there's medical practitioners that are of the same ilk, the same philosophy. Holistic integrative medical doctors also come from that approach, that real holistic, well-rounded approach. I really appreciate it. 
also with naturopaths and with this new system, this health modality that you're using now as a digest, oh, sorry, as a diagnostic tool. Could you explain to us a little bit more about that? I'm quite fascinated with how you're using a whole lot of different modalities. You mentioned off air before about Ayurvedic, traditional Chinese medicine, that real holistic approach. I'd really love you to explain a little bit more about this to us. Yeah, well, I've had um, a very specific gut protocol that I've been working with in the last two years, which gets amazing results. Um, but in that, it had like a gut protocol diet that you would give to everybody the same diet and you would always get some sort of positive effects from that because really you're swapping out the fake foods for the real foods. But then if someone wanted weight loss as one of their goals or um, and especially when you've got postmenopausal weight loss with thyroid conditions, you know, you're trying to do move a brick wall there, you've always got those people that are non-responders to those diets. Um, and the same with any study on any diet, there's always non-responders because we've had this expectation that we're looking for the, the golden pill even with the diet where, you know, oh, keto is the way to go. Everyone needs to do keto or paleo is the way to do. When everyone needs to be paleo or now everyone needs to be carnivore. But if we can take those blinkers off and think, no people are the same. I'm totally different to somebody else. And if I was the same diet as them, one diet would make me sick and that would make them healthy because our biochemistry is going to respond in a different way. So this, I was looking for a while for something to sort of get to these non-responders and help my clients even further. And I've just been blown away by this because I've got it as a weight loss tool. But what it's really shown me is when you're eating in line with your biochemistry, this is also going to be reducing that inflammation throughout the body and switching those genes off. So the creator of this um, precision health plan actually sort of like, I don't like to say the word cured, but he, that's his words, his own autoimmune condition from it. So he's got a TED talk that people can watch. Um, and I like it because... It's a combination of about 15 different sciences, including the Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine, and um, combining them in this complex algorithm. I simply take a person's thorough measurements of their body and then we um, complete about 45 different in-depth health, health questions and we're given the person's health type. And that gives me like a really beautiful in like microscope inside them to tell me make these tweaks and sometimes you don't have to make a big change they might already be a healthy person but making a five percent or ten percent tweak on the timing of the, their food or the um, timing that they do their movement can make a big impact on whether they're responding to that or if it's creating inflammation or it's or it's actually reducing inflammation so um, it's been an amazing tool that I can see adding so many much value onto my clients with their gut health, not just weight loss. It's turned some of those around as well. Sounds incredible. And I just think so many people are so clever the way they combine. But one of the things you said then about our, our health type, I mean, even when I study and looked at the personalities, um, it went right back to the Hippocratic Oath with Hippocrates noticing the types of medical conditions that people came in with actually aligned with their 
personality, their their characteristics and who they were. So, you know, this has been around in traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic principles. It has all been around for such a long time that it's strange for us not to be incorporating all of these modalities. Do you think sometimes science gets ahead of itself and forgets that we aren't just a chemical um, makeup, that we are a human that has also emotions and stresses and traumas that adapt and change us every moment of every day? And if so, where's your belief on where science and traditional um evolutionary medicines have evolved is there a place for both or do you think we've lost touch with either or there's definitely a place for both though i feel the view that medicine um took many years ago in looking for that one tiny little thing in the body that's causing the disease to fix that one little bacteria or to kill off this one little um um, pathogen or something that's causing the issue is very, um, well, it's very mechanistic that they're going to find that one little thing and heal the body. And we've lost in the world of medicine that idea that we are a holistic being, like the way my gut's going to work is dependent on how my liver works and depends on how my pancreas works. Like there's not, nothing in the body that works in isolation. So to treat parts of the body in isolation is quite naive, but I feel like we're very gradually getting back to that understanding of the holistic um, mindset. And, yeah, something like this protocol where we're, we're taking all the beautiful essence and knowledge of all those really amazing traditional sciences and adding them with the new sciences that's coming through and creating these really individualised, I guess, a blueprint. Like who wouldn't love a Bible to, to open it up and go, this is my blueprint, this is what I need to eat, this is the time of day that I need to eat. And as your body changes according to your environment, your epigenic, epigenetics around you, your, your health plan changes with you. So it's amazing to see that um, adaptability to something. I love that. Our bodies do constantly adapt. And I really appreciate that word after listening to Dr. Adam Epscam. He talked about adaptability rather than degeneration or that we are degenerating before ourselves, that we are falling apart. We just constantly are adapting. And I really appreciate that holistic approach. You're a mum. You've got amazing kids. You've got a hubby. You are constantly working with clients. As an everyday person listening to you, if we didn't have your knowledge and we didn't have your background and your experiences, could you give us some tips on how we could actually live our greatest life? Let's say we don't have major issues, touch wood. Let's say we're just trying to do the best that we can. Do you believe there's some simple philosophies that we could live by to get back in touch with ourselves on a holistic way? And if so, what would they be? One of the biggest things that I've actually made a change with this year is making a real effort to cut the distractions of the world. Like we are in the craziest time ever, it feels like, where we've just got one disaster after another that everybody's trying to cope and deal with. And, you know, when I speak to clients that 
sit there with the news going on and on in over like over and over in their living rooms and they get into my appointment and they're just they're just overwhelmed with not just everything that's going on in their own home but then the everything that's going on in the world I'm like we need to cut out some of that distraction like go back 20 years ago when we were growing up we had the news and that was all we had we used to watch the news it was on one time of the day we got the updates and then we turned it off we went on to life but now we have social media 24 7 and we have news going on certain channels 24 7 and we are looking and absorbing both of those and then we've got our own busy lives um I've actually banned tv in our house every weekday and we're into our third or fourth week and as a mum like it's very easy to go to tv for that distraction but it has made such amazing changes in the kids' behaviour, but in my stress levels. And it's just been really eye-opening on how distracted we all are. And, you know, my kids love to have a busy life. My husband and I love having a busy social life and getting out and doing activities. We're not, we probably need to um, get better at being homebodies and just relaxing a little bit more. But with all of that business going on, it's really nice at home, like mornings and evenings where the kids are there, that there's no TVs and there's no iPads or devices and it's just quietness. <laughs> it's just um, that's been our biggest thing with um, coping better this year with everything that's going on and all of our activities. And I, I did it for the kids' behaviour because when they watch TV, they come off the TV and it's just like they're, they're going crazy. Um, but it's been so dramatic in my happiness that, that I don't have all these distractions and the kids are more present with me, I'm more present with them and we have more conversations and they're instead of sitting in front of the TV and me being their servant, they're making their own breakfast and they're making their own smoothies now in the thermix. Like it's just they've actually grown as people. Um, that's my biggest thing at the moment is cut the distractions. I think it's a really good point that you make because also the distractions seem to be, and this is just a generalisation, but they're very fear-driven. It's very frightening, the world right now. I can't imagine a kid watching the news with their parents today would feel very safe. You know, there's just so much tragedy and trauma, and I also understand that that's part of getting ratings, and I also get that we are drawn into you know, drama and, and fear and, and it just seems to be this perpetual cycle that we find ourselves in. But what you're saying then, getting away from distractions, it's almost like you're saying become more present, become more um, aware of the moment rather than living into the future or seeing things that have happened in the past. You know, that, I mean, uh, this is the self-love podcast and, and I'm always curious whenever I interview someone, it always comes back to this grounded, centred space of being present. What do you think is your definition of self-love? And do you think then self-love and presence and being really mindful and less distractive, do you think that this is part of the cure of what we are facing right now? Yeah, definitely. Um I think cutting the distractions is a big part of it. But in regards to what I think self-love and self-care are, 
I think at the moment my definition would be that it's constantly evolving for everybody and we need part of the self-love is accepting where you are with your self-love. So as someone who's got two girls, you know, they're six and nine, so they're getting a little bit more older and a little bit more independent. But if I go back five years ago, um, what I could fit in in my self-love part of the day was so different to what I can do now that they're at school. So um, with the people that I'm working with, I think part of it is the acknowledgement that they are always doing the best they can with what they've got right now, to less of the beating themselves up if they've got lots going on in their lives and go, that's okay because this too will pass. And, you know, if it's just... I always remember something that you used to say is those micro moments of mindfulness. And that's what I still talk about with people is, you know, even if it's just um, getting your legs up the wall, laying on your back and doing 10 deep belly breaths. And that's all you can do through the day. That's something, but also say thank you to yourself for doing that. Like meet yourself where you are and acknowledge that and be kind to yourself is the greatest thing don't beat yourself up because you haven't done like a half hour yoga session with a half hour meditation on the end of it. That'll come when it comes, but just taking um, each part of life where you are and, and being kind with what you've done. And at the end of the day, go, I did the best I could today and tomorrow I'll try the best I can as well. So I think that's where I am at the moment with the self-love that's powerful, very beautiful, and an incredibly great reminder. The triple M's, the micro moments of <laughs> mindfulness, just brings us right back into this moment right here, right now. You've got these two precious girls, and I'm just wondering then from your point of view as a mum, this crazy world that we're growing up in, how are you keeping them so focused and so buoyant and so excited about life rather than being afraid of what's happening in the world right now? Yeah, we... We have a lot of conversations and it's difficult. Like sometimes you have to be, oh, it's what they're experiencing out there at school, what they hear from their friends, what they hear from their teachers is not the same message as what we talk about at home, that's for sure. And um, it's not to discount what those families or those people experience or think, but I just try and explain what we feel at home um, with what's happening and where we can do our good things. Like this is why we take our herbs and our supplements in the morning and this is why we eat our good foods and we feed our good bugs. So we have all these different conversations about our, our good and bad bugs all the time with what we're eating. And um, I just try to empower them with the information. And I know they're going to get to teenagers and they're going to go and drink Coke and drive me nuts with <laughs> those sorts of things, but I just hope that I can give them enough information that they come back to what mum said and their ground, like come back to loving their body and appreciating it. And that's, we've actually started a little course as well called um, uh, Mind, Mind Ninja or something with them. And we just watched little modules and it was just a few exercises. The first one was standing in front of the mirror and saying, I love me. And they had to do that. And like, that's, um, a beautiful practice I learned years ago with you is standing from the mirror and having those affirmations. But um, it was amazing to see my little six-year-old really struggle with that at six. 
And so we had to little have a little conversation and, I, and you know, mummy had to do it and daddy had to do it. And, you know, it was hard for daddy to do too. Like he hadn't done that. So it was really nice to have these little exercises we work on together, but we have a lot of, yeah, just different conversations. And I try and also instill that everyone has their opinion and that's okay. Not everyone they speak to is going to think the same as what we think and that's okay. Um, we believe this and other people can believe that and we just treat everyone with kindness and it'll be okay. Only the world could live by this philosophy right here, right now, the segregation, the judgment, the, the real um, fear that's driving no matter which side of the table you sit on. It's, it's incredible. Um, I'd really love to hear from you then. You personally have used a number of different tools through your life to make it great. And one of the things that I love, and right now I can see the diffuser on behind you, but are there, apart from the herbs and the supplements, essential oils, rituals that you do for you, being that role model, not supermodel for your daughters and actually showing up every day in the best way you can. Would you say then having studied oils and looked at them, are they a big part? part of your life still are you still using them in an incredibly powerful way in in your everyday life yeah um yes I've got my diffuser on the back and then I've got my beautiful neroli nights candle which is what I love as well um and even the girls ask often for their oils so if they've got a sore tummy they want me to get the roller out for their tummy oil we just make all these names up and um it's amazing, like, when they're at someone else's house and they get a tummy ache and they say, oh, mummy puts oil on my tummy. So someone else just rubs some plain sorbeline off their tummy and they go, oh, that's better. That's mummy's oil. <laughs> so, like, the oils are so amazing, but it's what it does for the mind as well. But just um, trying to tone them down, popping a little bit of um, peace and meditation on their pillow at bedtime or... Um, one of my favourite blends is focus and clarity. So we call that our, our brain power. Sometimes we use that in the morning with the girls. So it, I, um, I use them a lot for me, but I use them a lot for the girls and just understanding these little things can perk us up. I, I use my oils every day, almost my perfume, but that really sets the tone. And I always do a spritz of energy and vitality before I go to the gym. Um, yeah, they're definitely a key part to our our home and our lifestyle. Well, it was a treat having you go through my beautiful health and lifestyle education program a number of years ago. You were so full on in life with your babies and studying and doing my program. It was, it was mind blowing, but I do agree with you. The oils can get you through these stressful times or when time feels so short and doesn't feel so relaxed. I do believe they are an incredible superpower to have and hold you, this is called the self-love podcast and you followed my work for a very long time. Um, what would be a, a message, an overriding message to someone who is perhaps searching for that level of love for self or perhaps really embracing all the good and not so good in themselves? What would be a, a message that you would have for the beautiful self-love podcast listener? Um, I think they're in the right place if they're listening to this podcast. That was one of the first parts of our journey. Um, I started listening before I started to study to be a naturopath actually to up for a chat like that was one of the first things and the, and the the wellness guys and when you're in a world where 
the people around you haven't been exposed to this type of, you know, self-love and health and wellness and that's not their environment, you can be feel really isolated because you are the minority and you are trying to eat differently and it's like what what's the matter you can't have this drink and or you don't want to go out and get smashed all the time and or what's wrong with gluten we eat gluten forever and um so you can feel so isolated so if you don't have those people around you right next to you that are supportive and wanting to um, improve their health and wellness I'd go to the podcasts because um, to me it was like I was just listening to a bunch of girlfriends chat and connection is a big part of what's important to me. Um, that's part of my my health type is I'm a con- what we call a connector. So um, having that social connection and it, it's amazing what you get from the podcast. Like I would literally feel uplifted by whatever conversation that was had had, or I'd be laughing along with whatever joke you girls were saying. So um, they were probably a real big starting point. And then you start to follow more different people and you don't feel isolated because you can see there's other people living the, you know, thriving in their life in a time where everything is so fear driven and some things are so toxic um, but there's, a, there's another level and another path you can choose. I love it. And actually having the bravery and the courage to step aside or step up or step out is also one of the greatest drivers as to why we are different but also why we love to feel and think differently. And I think it's it's brave. It's very brave. I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of Up For A Chat. We, we did Up For A Chat for seven and a half years. We did 375 shows. We three are besties and we all thought differently at times. And then just recently you and Blake came on a hike with beautiful Karen. She she did a hike through the scenic room and Cindy and I decided to tag along. <laughs> and we had the best time. The scenic room hike through Spices was just an incredible I can't remember how many days we hiked for now. Is it five or six days? Yeah. Five days. And we just had the best time. And it was through listening to that podcast that you guys ended up being a part of that. You've been coached by Karen herself. Um, What do you think is the importance of community then? You've just said how important it is to be able to not feel alone, but then to keep growing. It's obviously one of your strongest values to keep learning and growing Mm. and being coached by people that you look up to. How has that impacted you guys? Uh, I think it's something, it's definitely one of our, or definitely my core value is to always um, have that person to look up to. And I've always, well, if I look back, um, you know, eight years ago, I could never have imagined that I was going to do mentoring with Karen or being sitting here talking to you on a podcast. Like that was, you, you were all my rock stars before I went to the um, the wellness breakthrough in the Dandenong Ranges. Um, to have those people like I've had you guys to look up to, it's life-changing really. Um, and I would encourage anyone to think of who you want to be, what version of you do you want to be of yourself in the next 12 months or two years and find someone that's already living that and read what they do and listen to what they say and find those people that can keep you motivated and um, keep you focused with all the distractions we have around us. 
<laughs> I absolutely love it. And I think one of the beautiful things about this wellness revolution, no matter what's going on in the world, is that the community does grow. The more pain we're in, the more people are looking for alternatives. So mm-hmm. as hard as it is to understand that a lot of people have autoimmune issues, gut issues, brain issues, mental health issues, and all of these things it does tend to spit us into places where we can connect and grow that community. And I just, I want to acknowledge you for that because without a community, we can feel so, as you say, isolated and alone. Mm. As we come to the close of this, and by the way, it is an absolute honor and treat to interview you having watched your growth over the last seven, eight years. It is an absolute privilege to watch someone like you who has really lived, walked, talked and learnt so much, sometimes the hard way and obviously sometimes by being the example, you've actually allowed the gifts that you've taken on through your experiences to now help others and I truly do um, want to thank you for your bravery in doing so and I guess as we come to the close of this amazing conversation, I'd love to know, is there a favourite quote that you have at the moment that you could share with us? Um, Can I say two? Because one that always (laughs) pops in my head is your, this too will pass. (laughs) Like I love that and I love always to share with that. But then another one that's always got me through a lot of times is um, something along the line, it goes, to get through the hardest journey, we only need to take one step at a time, but we must keep on stepping. And every there's so many times where everything can feel so overwhelming. And I, in the past, I probably would have said that I was a bit of a quitter, that I did so many courses um, before I was a naturopath that I half did. Like I did a drafting course, an interior design course, a business course, an accounting course, and I never finished any of them. Um, But then I did my HLE course and you taught us the above the line. Are you behaving above the line or below the line and I finished the HLE course because you would always pull us in are you being above the line or below the line so I would go okay I'm really busy and stressed right now but am I behaving above the line or below and I'd pull myself above the line and then that pushed me then through my naturopathy course and I felt like giving up a few times because it was so hard with a baby and a toddler and um, a job and at time I think I had two jobs at one point and Blake working incredibly long hours. Um, but I would just look at the timetable I had in front of me and what I needed to learn and go, okay, don't think about being a naturopath yet. Just look at this module and just do this tiny step. And each step I did, I got there. And I take that philosophy on now that if something's overwhelming, just take what's the next little step I can do. That's so powerful and I think sometimes the overwhelm is looking at everything I have to do instead of what do I have to do right here right now Mm. I just want to thank you so much for sharing that wisdom that knowledge your experiences and if anyone had gut issues health issues loved your message love your energy and your philosophy and your wisdom where can we follow you sweetheart could you give us your beautiful links Yes, um, I'm on Facebook, which is just Tanya Jones Naturopath. So it's Tanya with a Y. Um, Instagram's Tanya underscore Jones underscore Naturopath. And my website is um, www.tanyajonesnaturopath.com.au. So any of those places, they can reach out, 
send me a private message. I do um, discovery calls. So if someone is unsure about working with a naturopath, they're welcome to book in a quick little free discovery call and see if it's right for them or if I'm right for them because they've got to find the person that matches them and where they are, where they're at and the right practitioner. So it gives them a little chance to have a chat first. I do say anyone listening to you here and today is going to fall madly in love. And if they've got any issues, I'm sure they're going to reach out. So from my heart to yours, you beautiful soul, thank you for being you. Thank you for all you offer. Thank you for stepping up and continuously thriving and surviving and pushing yourself to get to complete your naturopathy degree in particular. I think you're an incredible practitioner. You have an, an abundance of knowledge that just completely blows me away and I really love your thirst to continually learn because I dare say you're probably like me the more you've learned the more you realize you don't know and I think in the world of health and particularly in this day and age this crazy world right now there is so much for us to continue learning so from my heart to yours beautiful girl thank you so much for being on the self-love podcast thank you so much for having me just one little tiny thing that I said can help someone it means the world Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.